Here we go on a Father's Day Friday morning in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 1340 AM, 98.9 FM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. And we are coming to you this Father's Day morning as we do every morning, every Sunday morning, I should say, from the Wisden in Las Vegas, because for over the last two years, the pandemic has kept us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. And I want to start again today's show uh, by wishing all of us fathers, grandfathers, and all the great grandfathers and mothers that play a role, I should say that play the role of father out there, a very healthy, happy, safe, and blessed Father's Day. Joining me on the show is our social media director, Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. That's right. The Wiz has his own uh, studio and his own theme music. And hey, it's well deserved. Uh, today, for Father's Day, the Wiz is going to take the lead role and let me play co host for a change, which, man, I really appreciate that. Trust me. Uh, and the reason. Uh, it's because I just got back from a quick trip to Costa Rica to visit a friend and see one of the best and most popular female performances and performance artists, I should say, in the world right now, Carol G. So um, if uh, uh, so, I do want to thank Spencer again for giving me a, a needed partial day off. As you can tell, I am completely exhausted from my trip, but uh, happy to be here, man, and happy to be celebrating Father's Day, my second ever Grandfather's Day, pretty cool. Also a big part of the show back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio, manning the controls and contributing content is producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows for Lotus Broadcasting, is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. The show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and Questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studio Line 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for what's on tap. On tap brought to you by title sponsor Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. The company to turn to for all your home financing needs, Residential Bank Corp. You can call for more information, 702-964-5720 to get a uh, to get information on all your phone financing options available in the state of Nevada on tap as as of this past Thursday, while I was out of town, a lot of things happened. The Vegas Golden Knights uh, coaching vacancy has been taken and a newer, should I say old all-star defenseman um, is now part of the team. We'll talk about that. And as Spencer tried to tell us last Sunday, and he was absolutely correct because there was an avalanche in Colorado in the Stanley Cup Finals, at least to this point. And as most of us know by now, the Golden State Warriors are NBA champs again. And Steph Curry is NBA Finals MVP again. And the U.S. Open, a couple guys up at the top of the leaderboard. One name you'll recognize, never won a uh, never won a PGA event, and the other guy's an amateur. Pretty cool. We'll talk about that as well and also give you a, a aces and aviators update. This That has been What's on Tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you could turn to, Residential Bank Corp. 
funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on all of your home financing needs. And uh, before we get into nightcap, uh, first of all, Spence, I want to wish everybody out there a happy Father's Day. Your father, a happy Father's Day. Uh, Chris Chapman's father, a heavenly fa- happy Heavenly Father's Day. Uh, Chris Chapman's mom will wish her a happy uh, Father's Day with her still being her. Linda, great lady. And guys, uh, happy Father's Day to you, Mags. Uh, Spencer, happy Futures Father's Day. Who knows you and your girlfriend one day uh, uh, may decide to do that. He shakes his head no, but that's for now. Um, but no, seriously, happy Father's Day to everyone out there. A very special day for all of us. And of course, I want to wish my father, Dr. Erwin Feldman, who just retired at the end of June at 84 years old from being a physician for over half a century. I want to wish him a happy and healthy Father's Day as well. I'll talk to him in a little while. Would put him on the show today, but I'm letting him rest, man. Giving the guy a rest from everything. His first month of retirement after being a doctor for, for many, many years. Couldn't be a prouder son or, uh, or feel more blessed to have him as a father. So, Dad, happy Father's Day. I know you're watching the show back in Michigan on Facebook Live, so appreciate you. Um, real quickly, guys, uh, uh, pretty wild week, man. I mean, I've been gone, Spencer, for just, it feels like a month, and it's all of four days, just a quick trip in to Costa Rica, purchased tickets a while to go to see Carol G., didn't really know what to expect. Started listening to her music. As you know, I've been brushing up my Spanish pretty well. Love the woman's voice. Incredible story behind her. A very publicized romance. She's from, um, uh, she's from, I believe, Colombia, if I'm not mistaken, and had a very high, um, highly publicized, again, romance. Uh, that fell apart a little bit ago. Good story behind her, but unbelievable performer. I saw her at a venue in, in San Jose, Costa Rica called Park Viva. And I'm going to tell you what, man, she's coming to T-Mobile Arena in early October. I recommend, even if you don't know Spanish, maybe learn a little bit, check the woman out. One of the best performances I've seen and one of the really cool things out there. And Chris, you'll appreciate this back in studio. You know, Costa Rica just qualified for the World Cup, which is something that rarely happens for that country. They've beaten the United States, win a qualifier, a qualifying t- uh, event. And they had an event. I mean, San Jose, Costa Rica, the city was was on fire. They This team came back from the, t- the game on Thursday night. And I was flabbergasted how they just shut down the streets so this bus could just ride around and everyone could go crazy cheering them on. In the Carol G concert, during the concert, somebody threw her. And I think, Spencer, I don't know if you have that picture. You can put it up on Facebook Live. There she is. I don't know if you can see her, Mags. Uh, She put on the Costa Rica soccer jersey. I took that picture. I was really close to the stage. But she puts on that jersey. And, I mean, you could hear them outside of the venue going crazy as she's like you know viva costa rica pura vida football and you know it was nuts and it was one of the coolest things i had experienced not being from that country but to realize chris how valuable and important uh football as it's it is is called around the country is in other parts of the world making the world cup for that country chris I mean, for them, it's going to become a national holiday. That's how big that event was. Yeah, probably for them, the the end of of an era as well, because they've got some some quality players like Kaylor Navas, and who, who of course played for Real Madrid, and now I believe is with PSG in France. Uh, Brian Ruiz, who who played many many years for them, and of course the guy who scored the winning goal in that game against New Zealand, uh, Joel Campbell, who's basically been on a member of the Costa Rican national team for probably going on 12, 15 years, which is really, really incredible. Uh, Former Arsenal player, Joel Campbell. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool that you were there for that. I could tell you I was in Italy 
I guess it was 2000, and Italy lost in the final of the European Championship to France. And Rome went from a party atmosphere to a funeral in a matter of three hours. It was it was pretty incredible to see how devastatingly painful that loss was for the Italians. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a cool experience. I mean, the game, I don't think people who aren't really fans of the game can really grasp just how important it is to certain countries and, and, and society in general. Like when I was in the Philippines and Manny Pacquiao would fight, the entire country would shut down. Like, I, 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 I think sometimes we lose the focus here in the United States because it's such a big country and it's so divided in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, people root against certain players, right? When the, when the USA basketball team goes to the Olympics, you have degenerates who root against the United States because they may not like LeBron's politics or maybe maybe even people root against other people for being on the other side of the spectrum. In other countries, it's not like that. When the national team plays or when the biggest athlete in the country performs, the country's shut down. Like, I, I, I can't explain to people, unless they've been there and seen it, what Manila is like when Manny Pacquiao fights. I mean, it is it is truly a remarkable thing because this is a country or a city with 25 million people that comes to an absolute standstill when he fights. Uh, it, it, I, I, I'm glad you got to experience that. It sounds like it's a really cool experience. I, I, I know who Carol G is. I follow her on Instagram for obvious reasons. Um, I, my, my, my ex who was from El Salvador, she, she actually got me into some of that, uh, reggaeton music. So I, I, I know some of the performers and, uh, I was always a big fan of Becky G. I don't know if she's related to Carol G. I don't think so. For some reason, they both have G on the end of their name, but, uh, no, it, it sounds like it was a good time. And, uh, you know, the funny thing I learned about reggaeton is you don't have to understand what's being said or sung about in the songs because a lot of times the rhythm is really good. The dancing is is exceptional. And, uh, you know, usually they're, they're, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a pleasing um, experience for, for a lot of different ways. So it, it sounds like a good time. You know, I, I almost went to a Maluma concert a few years ago. A friend of mine tried to drag me along she was I was single at the time and she was telling me hey look there's going to be a lot of really attractive Colombian girls at at the Maluma concert I turned it down but uh yeah that that, that reggaeton is good stuff I enjoy it. It, it it's a good time Chris the whole thing is you said the experience to see exactly the way you talked about the way Pacquiao would shut down Manila this is the way that the country was shut down during this game I guess that you could go out in the streets and run in the middle of the highway there was nobody on the highway I mean that was about the way it was I mean, yeah that's what it was taxis that's what and, it was like in then, Manila the, the whole the whole city would would I mean this is a city where sometimes it takes you two three hours to go 10 miles yeah. because of the traffic I I mean it's it's, if I had to go anywhere, I would schedule it around a Pacquiao fight because the, the, the whole city just completely shuts down. So I'm sure I'm yeah, sure that was, that was it. We were out having dinner and then I, we went out to a club after after dinner the night. This was night before the concert when they, the team flew back to town. And literally, I'm like, you know, we got we were avoiding, you know, just just tremendous amounts of people. It was cool to see it. I watched most of it on TV. I saw the people in the streets. Um, just an incredible thing. And as you mentioned, Carol G, I mean, she would rival how big Carol G right now is through the Latin, in the Latin community, even here in the United States. You know, you're talking Selena Madonna status. This woman is enormous. 
as far as popularity goes. And to see a concert and how much they appreciate her, you know, this park, it was called Parque, uh, Parque Viva that I saw it at in, in San Jose. And it was wild getting to the concert, leaving the concert. We, we got dropped off by a taxi. So leaving the concert, we're trying to find Uber. And the thing is, I speak a little bit of Spanish. She speaks a little bit of English trying to communicate because our service went out. We always communicate mostly by our apps. And it was like, oh, my God, after the concert, there's no taxis. There's nowhere to go. It's, it was a wild experience. Turned out to be just the whole thing incredible. And um, right now, before we hit Nightcap, I'm going to let Spencer give our give our listeners a little treat. And our viewers can see uh, on Facebook Live and on YouTube uh, a little a little bit of my, my uh, initial view of the concert. You can kind of see the way it was and actually this is i think towards the end of the concert we were backing out but you can see her wearing she's wearing the um the costa rica jersey the costa rica football jersey and uh, you get to see this venue is incredible Uh, that's just a small little taste of what I saw. Uh, just, just a great performance, just a great stage performer. She plays to the audience incredibly well. And um, I mean, it's funny because you experience this at every concert you go to, guys, but literally it was almost hard to hear her because every person in the audience knew every lyric to every song she sang. So I'm basically listening to the people around me sing because that they were just going crazy. I mean, it was from the minute she walked on stage till the minute she walked off, you almost had goosebumps. I mean, I felt like Uncle Fester. You see, if you stuck a light bulb in my mouth, it would have lit up. I mean, that was the electricity in the air in Park Viva. So really cool that I got to experience that opportunity. And I'll tell you right now, I am definitely getting tickets to go see her in October in uh, at T-Mobile Arena. I suggest anyone out there does. Man, if you don't know Spanish, again, brush up on it a little bit. But truly, you can almost understand what her music is because she's so passionate about it. You can tell what she's singing about by just picking up a few words. Really, really cool. Anyways, enough about that. Let's get to sports. And and let's get to uh, probably the most significant news, at least in Las Vegas, over the last week. Go ahead, Spence. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Uh, yeah, like you said, Brian, uh, another team that is uh, no stranger to big performances or uh, an over-the-top performances, that is the Golden Knights, and they did hire their next head coach, uh, and that is Bruce Campbell. So I do want to pose the question, uh, first of all, before we get into Bruce uh, Bruce Cassidy, I said Campbell, Bruce Cassidy, I want to reflect on Peter DeBoer and Gerard Gallant for a little bit with you two. You know, both of them had really hot starts. So, of course, one of the hottest starts ever in, like, expansion history and going to the Stanley Cup. But let's say even past that, right? Really hot. And then it kind of it tailors off at the end. I don't know if they're losing the locker room or what the case may be, but something goes wrong. So what went wrong for the first two head coaches in Golden Knight history? You know, what went wrong for Gerard Gallant and Chris, I, I don't know if you'll echo my sentiments, is success. This team had, I mean, they had 
next to the ultimate success in their first ever season, in their inaugural season, by getting to the Stanley Cup final, even winning game one of the final, of course, then losing four straight to the Washington Capitals. But all of a sudden, that success is demanded. The next season, they get to the playoffs. They get completely screwed in the in the first round of the playoffs when a penalty uh, to Joe Pavalski that should have never been a five-minute major to Cody Eakin was. And in that five-minute major, uh, San Jose down three goals with 10 minutes to go in the game scores not only three but they score four in those five minutes and Montreso uh, gets a goal to tie the game but San Jose wins in overtime and the Golden Knights don't make it to the second round they fall into a little bit of lull in year three and that's it for Peter DeBoer I mean excuse me that's it for Gerard Gallant he is gone I think all of us I understand professional sports I definitely understand professional hockey I was even blown away by that but again when you have that kind of success in an inaugural season like that all of a sudden the, the the sky is I guess you know the sky rises and uh, it did for Gerard Gallant and I think it was very unfortunate so starting off with Gerard we'll get to Peter Pete DeBoer afterwards but Chris that's kind of my reasoning with Gerard Gallant I mean he created expectations that I think became unrealistic and when the team faltered a little bit in year three time to move on Bill Foley wanted a winner that quickly yeah I I I I, I agree with a lot of what you said um Impatience, I think, by by the management and the ownership, and and I think maybe to some degree the fan base, is what went wrong for those guys. Um, for for Gallant, you know, a lot of people will will talk about the game seven, but well, a lot of people seem to forget about that series. The Golden Knights were up in that series, three games to one, and they lost game five in San Jose, came back to Vegas, and. Uh, they they had an opportunity to close out the Sharks, and they lost that game. I believe it was in overtime, maybe double overtime. Um, it was a close game. I think they lost two to one in that game. And then they go to San Jose. They were clearly the superior team in that game. As you mentioned, they end up losing Game Seven because of a, a, a terrible call. But if you look at Gerard Gallant's last eighty-two games in charge of the Golden Knights, the team wasn't very good. So there was a lot of inconsistency. And you know what? Maybe if they don't have the success year one, if they are the typical expansion franchise, much like the Seattle Kraken were this year, maybe Gerard Gallant is able to see out year three. But I I, I think a lot of what, what, what it stems from is he did have a lot of success early on. Um, they they struggled his last 82 games in, in charge of the team. And losing that series to the Sharks is certainly not something that that was going to be overlooked. I think by the by by Bill Foley, I think by by Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee. Look, I I will never say that they don't that they made the wrong decision in firing him. I will always say I didn't like the way it happened. But look, I can't come up with a reason why he shouldn't have been fired. I mean, the team was struggling; they weren't playing very well. You're you're now into your third season, so. I, I think that's well within their rights as, as management. And if the ownership had, had an issue, I think that's well within his right as the owner. But, yeah, I mean, it's impatience. And maybe maybe to some degree the success came a little too early. But I think Gerard Gallant landed on his feet. And we'll see what happens with him with New York. And whether or not this franchise made the right decision with Bruce Cassidy, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that as well. 
No, I agree with with everything you said, and I think with as far as Gallant goes, it's funny because the success he just had in New York now, their expectations are raised. I mean, you know, they're not making any significant goal moves. They they have realized they have one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League in Sestershkin. So, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of mind boggling now that he's in a situation where he didn't quite get to the Stanley Cup Finals this year with New York, but to a degree they overachieved it. I mean, they started off the series against Tampa Bay with two wins and then lost four in a row and uh, we're going to talk about that in, in that series in a minute because that's a whole other story but yeah I think that that was probably Gerard Gallant's undoing was the fact again the early success and that's again the only thing I can attribute to and like you said Chris understanding sports nothing surprises me when it comes to firing coaches and impatience I think every professional franchise and every professional league should not have patience that's one quality that is a very big quality in life that as, an, as a professional franchise team owner that you should not possess that quality at least when it comes to your business and I, like I said being from Detroit where I have watched uh, the patience of the Ford family to the point of where it's like watching paint dry or scratching your nails on a chalkboard I appreciate uh, a, an owner that doesn't have that kind of patience or that that kind of um you know that kind of loyalty to any one particular coach but again in this case I did think he pulled the strings too early um and and then you know but Pete DeBoer was a good option he was available uh we know the kind of success he had we saw what he did in San Jose a lot of times taking a team maybe farther than they should have gone but um I think Pete DeBoer's demise, demise Chris was really his philosophy I think his inability to get the most out of his players. I think that, you know, even though it wasn't his fault, I still think that to a degree there was bitterness in the locker room for the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury was gone, especially with the injury issues and, uh, you know, the the occasional completely lapses of, of good play by Robin Leonard. And I just think, and also his his neutral zone philosophy, I think is, is just lousy. I think that 1-1-3 that they played in the neutral zone, again, was great against teams that traditionally carried the puck in. But most teams play a version of dump and chase in the NHL, and that is not a really good philosophy, neutral zone philosophy to handle the dump and chase. It leads to it leads to goals and and odd man rushes, and and I just don't think it was a it was a really good uh, a good philosophy there. But again, Pete DeBoer, a lot was expected of this team. They made several moves to make this team better, and they just didn't get better. I'm not going to say that they got worse this year. You have to take into account the man hours lost to injury. You have to take that into account. Again, as we heard a long time ago, and, and we also heard when we had Dan Duva on the show last time, no team has ever made the NHL playoffs with as many man hours lost as the Vegas Golden Knights had. And they literally were, were in contention up until the last couple of games to get a playoff spot. So take that, taking that into account, though, I, I understood the leash on Pete DeBoer. I really thought, and in some cases got talked into Chris, him being around for at least part of next season. So I was a little bit surprised at the fight. But what that tells me is it tells me that Bill Foley is going to do whatever it takes to bring this town a Stanley Cup. And, and you got to respect that, right? Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I, I thought Pete DeBoer would, would be back at least for, for the start of next season and, and be given at least, you know, 20, 25 games with a fully healthy roster, which is something he did not have this year. But let's look at at the, the, the Pete DeBoer era as a whole. He went to two Western Conference Finals and he missed the playoffs in three seasons as the, the 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 man behind the bench with the Golden Knights. I think a lot of people, especially the fan base, 
never warmed up to Pete for, you know, the obvious reason that he was the coach of the San Jose Sharks. There was the bitterness. Same they never warmed up to Leonard. Yeah. I, and, same, and, same type of reason. You know, I, I think at some point the fans themselves, they got to get over it. Like year one was special. It doesn't last forever, especially in sports. And, and and it's it's a business. The goal is to win. And if, if Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee felt that they did not have the best players on the team to win the Stanley Cup, then you know what? It's it's their duty to go out and make the team better. They have made the team better. I think we could look at the roster and say, look, from top to bottom, this team is better than the team that made the Stanley Cup final. They just didn't have that lightning in a bottle like like the team year one did. Um, as, but but getting back to Pete, I, I I think the fact that in those two Stanley or Western Conference Finals, the goals dried up. We 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 heard time and time again, hot goalie, hot goalie, hot goalie. It became a broken record. Look, Anton Hudobin is not a great goalie. He's a good goalie. He's he's a better than average goalie, but he's not a great goalie. He's not Carey Price. He's not, he's, uh, who, who, you know, we, we got to see a little bit last year. But Carey Price didn't win that series. The Golden Knights lost that series because they couldn't find ways to score on Carey Price, who wasn't spectacular. You know, it it it, it just, I think for, for the, the ownership and the management, when you look at the fact that this team two years in a row lost to teams that they were superior to because they couldn't score goals. I mean, you look at, you know, Robin Leonard in that series against the Dallas Stars played really, really well. Like, you look at his numbers as a whole, and they should have won that series because Robin Leonard was was good enough for them to win. Problem is, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, William Carlson, Jonathan Marchessault, Riley Smith, they couldn't find ways to beat Anton Hudobin. And you can, you can chalk it up to system. Maybe it's the players to to an extent, and and maybe a lot of it falls on them. But at the end of the day, you're making a decision to 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 try to make this team better. And if they felt that this team would be better without Pete DeBoer, then I guess we'll have to again wait and see what happened. I'll be honest; I think Bruce Cassidy's a really good coach. Um, I, I again, I thought Pete would be back. I liked Pete. I, I got along really well with Pete. I got along really good with Gerard too. So it's not like it's not like I'm, I'm I didn't get along well with either of them. But I think I, I I think when you look at the whole, I think maybe this team the 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 guys making the decisions felt that this team came up short and they should have been better. We had an opportunity to see this team almost fully healthy, um, you know, at the end of the season. And again. They could not score. You you look at the games that they lost down the stretch, and the guys who were in net, the guy in Chicago, the guy in 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 Dallas, the guy who was in net when they when they played uh, St. Louis the last game, like they had no problem scoring goals against St. Louis because the game didn't mean anything. But in the games against San Jose, the games against Dallas, the games against Chicago, they stunk. They stunk in those games. So I think it's you look at those three games. You combine that with the Western Conference final, the, the previous two seasons, and maybe, maybe Kelly McCrimmon and, and and George McPhee and Bill Foley felt that Pete DeBoer did not have the, op, the the ability to take this team to the next level. That they didn't have the ability to up their game in in really big important games. And you know, Brian, I guess we'll see. I like the hire of Cassidy. I was in his presser the other day. 
I was really impressed with a lot of the answers he gave. Um, the guy, the guy, for those who missed it, maybe don't know a ton about Bruce Cassidy and his tenure with the Boston Bruins. Their power play was really, really good. Like one of the best in the league, like year in, year out. Granted, he had some some phenomenal players like Patrice Bergeron and, and Brad Marchand and David Pasternak. But look, the Golden Knights have really good players too. So you could hear it in his voice in the presser how excited he gets about special teams. I'll be honest, Brian, I walked out of that presser. I wanted to put the skates on and go out there and skate for Bruce Cassidy because you hear a lot of stuff about him not maybe being a player's coach. I don't know how that could be true because he motivated me. Like, listening to him, I want to play for the guy. He he seems to have it all together. He seems to have a really good mind for the game. He's a guy who's learned a lot. I thought one of the best answers, and, and I'll give a lot of credit to Kevin Bollinger from Fox 5 for asking the tough question, but George McPhee hired Bruce Cassidy to coach the Washington Capitals. George McPhee also fired Bruce Cassidy as a coach of the Washington Capitals. And Kevin Bollinger from, from Fox 5 here in town asked him, if there was any trepidation about maybe working for George again and what he why why he's a better coach today than he was back then. And I thought Bruce's answers to both of those questions were really, really good because he said, look, I'm forever grateful to George because he gave me my first opportunity to be a head coach in the NHL. But in order to be a successful coach in the NHL, you have to grow. You have to learn. You have to be better. And Bruce Cassidy has proven that he's a better coach today than he was 20 years ago when he was fired by George McPhee. Maybe not quite 20 years ago, but you get my drift. Uh, so, so phenomenal answers, and, and I thought the question was was really, really on point. I thought, I thought of of the entire press conference. You know, we could talk about philosophy, identity. I thought that answer to that question was was the best question of the, of the presser. Yeah, Chris, and, and I didn't hear the presser yet. I heard about it. I heard that people were impressed with the way he answered questions, with the way he carried himself. Six straight uh, playoff appearances after replacing uh, Claude Julian in the final months of the 2016-2017 season. He had a record, I think, 245, 108, and 46 with the Boston Bruins. Uh, was fired on June 6, a month after the Bruins lost a seven-game first-round series to Carolina. I brought him up on the show. I said right away he is a candidate. probably. In the, the probably the biggest uh, knock against him has been player relations with Bruce Cassidy. I think maybe that's slightly overblown. They've called attention to it, but again, it is something that you do have to take into consideration because because again, that is something that has been known about him. He has you know known for having communication issues with the players. We'll see if that's something that continues here. Uh, management does play a big role and is very hands on in uh, here in Las Vegas. We'll see how that all plays out. I like the hire as well. I think he's fiery. He's 57 years old. He's right in like the peak of your age for being an NHL head coach. I think this guy's going to do a decent job, but I do think the pressure is on him immediately, Spencer, to win and win now. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I want to wrap up the, the conversation about Bruce with just one last thing, and then we'll get on to the Dandenov trade, and then we'll go on to the Stanley Cup uh, finals talk there. Um, but what can the Golden Knights do as an organization to – put their manager, their head coach in a better position. Cause I feel like they've honestly put them in pretty bad 
positions over the years. And, and there's certainly blame to go around. You can't just blame it all on Pete DeBoer, Galan, or just the management or just the players. But what can management do for this this newest regime to make them a little more successful? Well, one of the things, Spencer, and I'll, I'll let Chris chime in on this as well. You know, one of the things management can do is, you know, allow a guy to believe that he's going to have time to win. And, you know, but, but unfortunately with this team and fortunately they are built to win now. So what, what management can do, I think to a degree is stock him with the best players available and what they can do. And I think, you know, all teams try to get that done and um, you know, and try to buy into his philosophy and sell his philosophy and believe in him and let him know you believe in him. And I think that was an excellent question that both that Kevin Bollinger did ask is to ask him because there has to be a little bit there. Yeah. He, He's a different coach. There's no question now than he was, you know, seven, eight years ago. But in the same respect, you're getting hired by a guy that has fired you. And it was a short leash firing that he had when he hired him to be the Washington Capitals coach. So, um, Chris, you know, I mean, what do you think management can do uh, to 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 help, um, you know, to help him in his first season as head coach? Well, I, I, I think. They, they've done, they, they've given him a team that is built to win the Stanley Cup. I think that's probably the best thing that they could have done. I think now the, the, the most important thing that they could do to help him is help this team get cap compliant. Uh, because obviously, I, I, you, you did mention the Dodonov move and that, that did create some space. But I don't know uh, as far as uh, what, what, what else they're, they're going to have to do to get cap compliant because there, there's a couple of UFAs. There's there's some RFAs. So uh, the one thing they, they, that they need to do is they need to find depth. And they're going to need to draft well because they're going to need to find some young players down the road who are able to come in because this team is not going to be out of the cap situation anytime soon that they've created for themselves. But I think management ha- has put themselves and they, they, they feel that they've given Bruce Cassidy the best possible team that they could have given him. And I, I, I think there's going to de- be some patience because we don't know how Mark Stone is going to react following his surgery. We don't know how Robin Leonard is going to play after his surgery. One thing we do know, if Robin Leonard does not play well to start the season, there is going to be tremendous pressure right away on Bruce Cassidy to make a change in net because Logan Thompson proved at the end of the last season that he's an NHL goalie. Whether or not he's a full-time starter NHL goalie is another story, but he handled the workload that he was given really, really well. So I, I, I think that's something that hopefully we don't have to see where, where there's a goalie controversy early because no coach wants that. It's like it's like the NFL. You don't want a quarterback controversy. You don't want to be the Cleveland Browns right now with Deshaun Watson and what he's got going on off the field and having Jacoby Brissett maybe having to be your guy. And if Brissett plays really well, then you have some issues. You don't want that. You don't want to have a situation where you have a controversy very early on in your coaching tenure. So I think what management needs to do is they need to basically set the set the tone right away. Robin Leonard is our guy, and we're going to ride with Robin Leonard until we can't ride with Robin Leonard. Because I, 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 and I don't know if that's something that will be done, right? It's Bruce's team. He's going to make the decision. But I think laying, laying, supporting him in that decision is probably outside of getting cat compliant, the best thing they can do. Because no, I'm gonna, I, 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 I could see there being problems if Robin Leonard starts slow. 
No, I, I agree with you that that's going to be the first thing addressed if there's any issues, especially between the pipes with Leonard. And, you know, where, where Leonard's head's at, you know, and I'm not going to get into all that. Most of us know about Robin and, uh, you know, what he goes through and what he struggles with. But the, de- the deal is, you know, I know that personally he had to feel unwanted, not just by management. Uh, I don't think ever unwanted by his teammates, but but by management at times. And, of course, by the, the faithful of the Vegas Golden Knights, the fans here have made it very clear in many cases. And I think that that is something that, you know, is Leonard going to be able to handle that? Is Leonard going to be coming in here with a full heart uh, dedicated to the Vegas Golden Knights? And only Robin Leonard knows what's between the, the six inches between his ears, what's going on up there as far as that really goes. That being said, real quickly, we're going to brush on this quickly so we can get to the rest of this, but the Vegas Golden Knights general manager, Kelly McCrimmon, also announced on Thursday that Montreal Canadiens 36-year-old defenseman Shea Weber had been acquired in exchange for the VG for you know the forward uh, 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 Evgeny uh, Dodonov, who Chris uh, has wasn't like they were trying to shop him at the end of the season before the trade deadline. They did, and the trade wasn't wasn't didn't go through, and he ended up being an integral part down the stretch of the Vegas Golden Knights making a run to get in the playoffs. He's thirty three years old, a couple years younger than Weber, but I mean, you know, Weber did not appear in a game during the 2021-22 season due to multiple lower body injuries. He'll 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 be on the injured reserve to start the season, almost no doubt about that. Weber's appeared in like like 1,038 games during his NHL career, uh, 589 points, 224 goals, 365 assists. Um, he was drafted 49th overall in 2003 in the entry draft by the Nashville Predators. Two gold medals with Team Canada in 2010 in Vancouver and Sochi in 2014. Seven-time NHL All-Star, four-time All-Star game, super skills, hardest shot in the NHL, considered the hardest shot in the NHL, at least four of the seasons that he played, won the 2016 Mark Messier Leadership Award. I mean, Chris, Shea Weber, if you don't know who he is, you probably haven't been following hockey very long. One of the most solid defensive players in the National Hockey League, as they talk about a wicked slap shot, as hard as anyone I remember since maybe Al McGinnis. I mean, this guy's shot is ridiculous. But he was shelved all the last year. 2020 had a great year. Chris, at 36 years old, does he come back for these injuries? Is this a good trade for the Vegas Golden Knights? Well, it's a good trade because he's not going to play. So um, you could stash that money away that he's getting paid on long-term IR. Look, basically what, what happened in this trade is Bill Foley said, I need to free cap space. I will pay Shea Weber's salary for him to sit on LTIR to free up the cap space. Like that's what this is. This is this is a we this is a great trade for the Golden Knights, assuming Dodonov doesn't go and score 25 goals. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Shea Weber ever laces him up for the Golden Knights. I mean, you mentioned 36, he still has a couple years left on his deal. He's on LTIR. He's probably probably not gonna play for the Golden Knights, maybe ever. Um, and if he does, maybe, maybe it's a year from now. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do if the situation arises that Shea Weber's healthy enough to play. I don't know if we'll ever get there. Um, it sounds like, from from things you hear, it sounds like his career is probably over. So if that's the case, the Golden Knights needed to free cap space. They moved to Donoff, who they obviously tried to move the deadline last year. Uh, I, I, I'll i say this. I feel bad for Evgeny Dodonov for a lot of reasons because this is now the fourth city he's going to play in in the last four years. He was a member of the Florida Panthers during the bubble season. He 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 signed a free agent contract with the Ottawa Senators. Um, 
Unfortunately, his wife and kids could not come to Ottawa and be with him. Then he's traded last offseason to the Golden Knights for Nick Holden. And now he's traded again this this offseason to the Montreal Canadiens. I feel bad for the guy because he seems like he's a decent guy. And you you, you got a real uh, sense that he's got a, a sense of humor. And the guys in the locker room love him. But, I mean, this is the business. It's sports. And, and you know, you... you yeah, you come to expect it, but I do feel bad for the guy, and I hope he goes to Montreal and he's able to to play, you know, well on a team that's well, unfortunately, not very good. But uh, you know, the the move for the Golden Knights is good because they free up the cap space. They don't lose any assets other than Dodonov, right? Like the trade for with Anaheim was terrible because not only did they take on Ryan Kessler's contract to get another guy who's LTIR, but they had to give up other assets even to do that. At least here. You're not giving away any draft picks. You wanted to move the player to free up the cap space. It works for both teams. So I I, I, I don't think it's a bad trade. I, I think it's one of those things that, look, it, it'll work out for both sides. I think Montreal got themselves a guy who's capable of scoring 15, 20 goals, and the Golden Knights were able to free up a contract because Riley Smith is a guy who is a UFA, and I do think that there is a, a, a lot of momentum for the Golden Knights to re-sign Riley Smith. They're going to have to make some other moves in order to make that happen. Because, you know, unfortunately, the cap situation is what it is. But in terms of this deal, it's it's a good move for the Golden Knights because they free up the cap space. And that's the mo- that was the most important thing in the offseason. That was uh, the Golden Knights uh, talk for this week. But we'll stay in hockey and uh, we'll go to the Stanley Cup, which sounded a lot like this uh, yesterday. It's stolen away by Colton. He didn't get much on the centering pass. Helm has some open ice. Helm takes a shot and scores. Darren Helm. Uh, yeah, so Colorado did drudge. I don't know if that's the correct term, but they destroyed probably a little bit better. Uh, 7-0 against Tampa Bay, who, of course, won the last two Stanley Cups. A little shocking. Colorado is the first team since 1981 to score three goals in the first period in back-to-back games. I know you love that, Brian, because you love those weird Yeah, stats. you got stats, Spencer. And Look before that, it was in the 1930s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it obviously doesn't happen very often, and it happened here. I mean, what what happened yesterday? Probably the best place to start. I mean, how, do, how does the Stanley Cup seemingly dominant team in Tampa Bay lose this badly in game two. Well, I'll tell you, Spencer, it's the players. This this Colorado team went on stretches this this season that I, I don't want to say is unprecedented, but was really impressive. And um, you know, Jared Bednar, you talk about a coach that was on the on the on the getting heat. I mean, this Colorado team for since his tenure has been a really good hockey team, unable to get over the hump. And this year a lot expected them down the stretch, some injury problems with Landeskog. People were worried McKinney in, but they they all got healthy at the right time for the playoffs and uh Colorado is playing really good hockey Bednar doing a great job over there to me one of the I want to say an underrated coach because this team is always in contention they have just struggled at the most important times in the Stanley Cup playoffs especially against the Vegas Golden Knights but right now they are clicking on all cylinders and uh you know the Lightning have given up 11 goals thus far in the Stanley Cup final it is tied for the most goals allowed in the first two games of a final series by a defending Stanley Cup champ. Uh, The only other team to do that, the 1956, of course, Detroit Red Wings, also a two-time defending champ at the time, gave up 11 goals in uh, games one and two against Montreal and went on to lose the series in five games. Um, And as a matter of fact, there's been, I think this is the, the, the fifth team right now, Tampa Bay, to 
go to lose the first two games of the conference final and then the first two games of the Stanley Cup final. And um, the old, no team, none of the other four have won the Stanley Cup. They've all lost. However, uh, listen to what was said after last night's game. Uh, this is a little conversation between Steve Levy, Mark Messier, and um, and also Chris Chelios, uh, courtesy of ESPN, but I wanted to hear when Steve Levy talks about this and listen to what Mark Messier says. And the reason this is so significant is because it's Mark Messier saying it. Think how many games in his life that Mark Messier has played in and watched how many hockey games in his life for him to make a statement like this. But I also agree with what Chris Chelio said in his closing statement also. Joined by Mark Messier and Chris Chelio. I think we just saw the perfect game there, right? Watching the clock run down, and I was thinking to myself, that was the most dominant, best team game performance I've ever seen in my lifetime. From the start of the game to the finish, discipline, they did everything that you could possibly do to make it the perfect performance. Tampa Bay's got a lot of problems to solve. That speed from beginning to end, like Matt said, I didn't see this coming. I thought after that first game, Tampa would react to just a couple adjustments anyway to play a little smarter, but they just kept coming. 5 nothing. they're still four-checking. They're still coming at you with all the confidence in the world. So I don't know if you can deal with that speed I mean, I, after watching this, but I'm, I'm not counting Tampa out, Tampa out yet. You know, I don't care. I don't care either. And Chris, I know that was kind of your sentiments last week when you said, or the last time we talked about them being down two nothing in New Jersey, we both still felt Tampa Bay would come back and win that series. They did, but the New York Rangers are not the Colorado avalanche by any stretch of the imagination, a very good team, uh, probably equally talented in net um, as Darcy Kemper has done a great job, but I mean, but I think uh, the Rangers are, are fine in net, but overall Colorado is a faster team, a better team. And as you heard Messier say in the, in his career, he has never seen a better hockey game or a team play a more perfect hockey game in the way Steve Levy led into it. A perfect game. You talk about perfect games in baseball. They're done by pitchers that throw an entire game without without doing with with no errors, no hits, and no walks. I mean, you, you, you pitch to uh, three batters an inning. This was kind of a perfect game for the Colorado Avalanche. They didn't do anything wrong, period, one, two, or three. No letdown whatsoever. It's still Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay and John Anderson are going to go back and find a way to play better in game one. They, they made a dramatic comeback only to lose in overtime. I think that was a carryover and a hangover to game two, like Tampa Bay so distraught that they come back in the game and then lose the way they did in OT. So maybe that's part of it. But again, if Colorado continues to play like they did yesterday, I mean, through the first period, Colorado had more goals than Tampa had shots on goal. That is uncharacteristic of the two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, very uncharacteristic game, but, you know, it's not over. You're going back to Tampa. You, you, you know, they now they are going to have to win both games in Tampa. There's no doubt about that because if you go back to Colorado down three games to one, the series is over because you're not winning two games in Denver. Um, as it stands, you can still win the series. You're going to have to find a way to win a game in Denver, but you don't have to win two games in Denver. Uh, look, it, it, Colorado is is a juggernaut right now. This is a team that I thought they would have a little bit of a, of a, of a slow start in the series because they did have such a long layoff between series, but they've only lost two games in this Stanley Cup playoff, and they both came to, at the hands of the St. Louis Blues, uh, look, I, 
I, I don't know what to say about Tampa. I expected them to have a much better performance yesterday than what they did. I, I, I certainly am not going out on a limb when I say that. I think a lot of people felt that way. Uh, I, I'll be honest. I, I, I was really, really surprised at how easily Colorado did everything that they wanted to do yesterday. I think game two was where you're going to see Tampa maybe play a, a, a better game than they did in game one. The reality is they, they got worse in game two. Uh, Colorado, look, it. people may not want to hear this, but this is a team that could, we, we talked about the Lightning being a dynasty. If they win this series, something we haven't seen since the 80s. I'm trying not to put the cart before the horse here, but this Colorado team has the capability to be really, really scary for the next couple of years because they have all their stars under contract. They've got the cap space, and they're doing it with a guy in net who's probably an average, maybe above average goalie. Darcy Kemper coming off the injury. He's not. He's certainly not as good as a lot of the other goalies that they could have in net. So, uh, you, you know, it, it's it's a it's a tough situation for Tampa. Like I said, they are going to have to win both games in Tampa, or the series is over. I picked them to win the series. I'm I'm starting to have doubts about that because Colorado just looks like they are unbeatable at this point. They, 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 the way they've done it, the way they're winning games. They're relentless, and what 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 really stands out is they're ruthless. Like, not only are they relentless, but when they get you on the mat, they're not letting you up. They're going to continue to punch you in the face until Herb Dean steps in and calls for the bell. Uh, they 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 are they are really really good. They they're probably the best team in the league. I think they've shown that the first two games. They've won both games in in different ways. This is this is not the series I think a lot of people anticipated. Look, it's not over. Tampa could go back, win the next two, and all of a sudden we're like, hey, we got a series. But this Colorado team at this point looks unbeatable. No, they really do. And, uh, you know, I thought with Braden Point coming back for Tampa right at the right time, it would help. You know, he's obviously not 100%. He's such an integral part of this team. They get this far without him. And you think, wow, that's going to be a little bit of a boost for him. Maybe it will be when when he gets to skate on home ice back in Tampa. And like you said, they're going to have to find a way to win this series. And there's no question, a big part of that, who did not play well, and you don't ver- see this very often last night, not that this team played well in front of him because they did not at all. They looked like they were skating in wet and then half the time, the one breakaway I saw Tampa get, the guy missed the net completely, which how do you do that on a breakaway? That's ridiculous. But it is going to be, you know, Andre Vasilevsky. He is the best goaltender in the National Hockey League, the best goaltender on the planet, in my opinion, right now, especially what he's done, his body of work over the past three-plus seasons. He has been nothing short of spectacular. And John Anderson was asked after the game, if he would, uh, if he asked Vasilevsky if he wanted to come out, he said no. Never asked him. And this is what Vasilevsky had, or what excuse me, what John Anderson and what Steven Stamkos had to say after the game about Vasilevsky. This is the playoffs, and we're here to win hockey games. Vasilevsky gives us the best chance to win a hockey game, and he's our guy. He's going to be there in a couple nights. He's the best goalie in the world, and uh, we win together and we lose together. Even if I did, I don't think he would have come out. That's what a competitor is, and that's why he's the best. We left him out to dry tonight. Um, He's been our backbone for years and years and years, and we owe it to him to have a better game next game. And I mean, it could have been more. He made some unbelievable saves. So uh, by no means is is this on him tonight. We've got to be better as a group. 
games three and four back in uh, Tampa or go moving to Tampa. They'll be tomorrow at five o'clock. And again, game four uh, will be on Wednesday at five o'clock. So uh, a couple of games with only a two day break in between next week at this time, we could either be talking still about the Stanley cup final. Cause a uh, game six would be a week from today if they get that far. And then game seven, if necessary, would be Tuesday. So uh, we'll see if we're still talking Stanley cup finals next week. Again, to me, the best playoff line that I've seen ever in hockey. And I know that's a huge statement, but in the playoffs, I have never seen a line step up bigger than Kucherov and Stamkos. And then you add Evander Kane to that line. That is as tough as any line in the National Hockey League, in my opinion, especially in the postseason. Again, Mikita Kucherov, to me, the best postseason player I've ever seen. And I've seen them all. But I've watched Gretzky's entire career. He's unbelievable. But Gretzky's game was elevated during the regular season, maybe slightly more elevated in the postseason, but that was expected. Guys like Gila Fleur, they had great seasons. They were the go- scoring leaders every season. That is not what Kucherov is. He doesn't care about being the scoring leader during the regular season. It's half the time, it's not that he doesn't care about the games, but he takes care of himself. He preserves his body and his accelerated play for the postseason. And this guy elevates his game to another level. If he can do that the next two games, Kucherov and this line alone is enough to keep Tampa Bay in this series and even win the Stanley Cup. That's how good they are. That's what they've done. And again, the best goaltender in the world who will not play many games like you saw him play yesterday. All right, Spence, what's next? brother yeah so we are gonna finish up today's show talking about the nba finals of course the golden state warriors did win steph curry got his fourth ring and his first finals mvp the big con like i don't know first of all i kind of felt like the the finals were boring i was engaged but it wasn't really that close and i think when you look back at the the celtic team is like it, it has a good roster but they were so young i mean i wouldn't compare it necessarily to the thunder when they played the heat in the final and lebron kind of took them out in five games I think the Celtics are a little more developed than that, but I don't. I think they'll be forgotten in the echelon of NBA teams, in my opinion. So I don't know. How did you feel about the NBA Finals? Is Steph better than like Magic Johnson? That seems to be the main prevailing conversation afterwards. It feels like the, maybe one of the only ones because people didn't seem to care so much about Golden State winning. I don't know. It, it felt weird because you have the Boston State, the Boston Celtics, which is like probably like one of the biggest franchises in the NBA now. Golden State, which has become one of the biggest franchises. It seemed like it should have been the perfect clash, but it kind of fell short of expectations. I feel like at least for me, how did you feel? Well, I felt that game four, in my opinion, was the pivotal and turning point in the series. Boston had that game. They needed to win that game. Draymond Green had not showed up to the postseason to that point defensively or offensively. He was maybe giving his teams uh, two minutes of great basketball at best in each of those games. I think it was a crowd. I was blaming Steve Kerr for putting him in the game, having him in the game at the wrong time. He just looked non-existent, looked like a 32 years old. His career was winding down. Uh, then, of course, he picked up his play a little bit, much better defensively, helped distribute more, and he became a more integral part in the games after that. But game four was the pivotal game that cost them the series. They win that game, Spencer. They're up three games to one. I still think the Golden State Warriors were going to win the series, but I think it would have definitely gone to seven. I think Boston, I, I think that uh, that Boston had a, had a much better shot. Maybe would have even won the series if they'd been able to win that pivotal game. You know, you, you, you talk about, you'll see this team continue to grow, to seem to get better. Boston is a team to look forward to the future at Golden State. What's going to happen with this team as they all age? Is Steph Curry better than Magic Johnson? I can't even answer that question. That is ridiculous. It's not even close. Magic Johnson is arguably the greatest player to ever play. People will say, Jordan, people will say Kobe, people will say a lot of names. 
Look at what Magic did. The only player to be able to play all five positions on the floor and did in the postseason in the NBA. Nobody's ever been like Magic Johnson. But Steph Curry, the greatest three-point shooter in history, will always say that. Listen, we are out of time. Once again, happy Father's Day to everyone out there. Your dad, Chris, happily, happy Heavenly Father's Day. My dad, Dr. Feldman, man, I love you to death, Dad. I'll talk to you in a few. We appreciate everybody out there. We'll be back next week, same place, same time. Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM. 1340 AM. This is Out of Line. I'm Brian Feldman. Thanks to all. We appreciate you.